0: you are listening to leaders and legends a podcast featuring some of indiana's most fascinating men and women whose impact has shaped our state our communities and us join us as we discuss their imprint on our history leaders and legends is brought to you by veteran strategies incorporated your local veteran business enterprise specializing in public relations media relations public outreach crisis communications and digital photography My name is Robert Bain, Principal of Veteran Strategies, former Deputy Chief of Staff to Mayor Greg Ballard, and Communications Director for the Indiana Republican Party. I'm honored to be your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, the Crown Plaza at Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. I'm your host, Robert Vane, principal of Veteran Strategies, and we are here with two former mayoral chiefs of staff, Mike O'Connor, chief of staff under Mayor Bart Peterson, and Paul Ocasin, chief of staff under Mayor Greg Ballard. And incidentally, each one of these uh, fine young men have been my boss at one time or another. Uh, Mr. O'Connor currently as president of the uh, IPS uh, school board, and I worked for Paul when I worked for Mayor Ballard. Thank you, guys.
1: Good afternoon.
2: Happy to be here. Apparently, he can't work for either one of us. Right. Must I be the horrible great, boss. The
1: great, there's two great ironies <laughs> there. You and I are participating in something called Leaders and Legends, and I'm not sure which which one <laughs> if either of us either, are.
2: Either category.
1: And that he can't keep a job long enough to work for <laughs>
0: either of us for very long. That, that that's true. Although I have to say that Okeson at least spent about 150 dollars in padishu breakfasts to get me to work for him. <laughs> uh, Went through a lot of broken
2: yolk sandwiches with that guy.
0: It is a great thrill to be with two. People I truly, truly admire and admire them for their leadership and all that they've accomplished. And um, we'll let Mister O'Connor go first because he's an Eastsider. And Mike, talk a little bit about how you got to be chief of staff and your life up to that point.
1: Well, it uh, it was it's an interesting story that I'll try to condense down to just a couple minutes. But but um, Bart Peterson and I had worked together in the By administration. And then I went off to Washington D.C. and I was working as an associate administrator at EPA. My wife and I had just gotten married, and um, I was coming back and forth. And at some point during the travel back and forth, uh, my wife informed me that she would not be moving to Washington D.C., which informed me that I needed to get a new you job. Be <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, and so, literally, that was a that was a Sunday evening before I flew out on a Monday morning. And that Monday afternoon, I was sitting in my office in Washington, D.C., and the phone rang, and it was Bart Peterson. And he said, hey, I'm I'm going to announce this week I'm running for mayor. And I said, well, that's great. You know, you, you, you bring the right temperament, vision. You know, you, th- th- that's a great thing. And he said, oh, well, there's a second part to this, and I'd like you to move back to Indianapolis and run the campaign. And then if we're successful, come into the mayor's office with me. And so—
0: and what was it, your campaign experience before then? Uh,
1: well, I'd run several congressional campaigns. Uh, I'd run a, a statewide campaign for Secretary of State. Um, Joe Hogsett's? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, also ran Joe Hogsett's unsuccessful campaign for the U.S. Senate. Hogsett always says everybody claims the uh, Secretary of State's race and nobody claims the U.S. Senate race, <laughs> which went down in flames early. Um, and, and just some other local races, those sort of things. But involved in political organizations and and. And uh, you know, sort of at the ground level of a lot of political efforts. Is it
0: possible for you to come back for a separate podcast on all the things that Ann Mullen O'Connor has told you you're going to do, and all the things she said she's not you're, going to do?
1: You're probably going to need about an hour and a half for that.
0: We'd love to have that. Would Anne still Mullen be an abridged version. Paul, go ahead.
2: Oh, I um, you know, my um, most people know my older brother John was in politics. And, and uh, it was sort of in our, our family DNA, the things we talked about at the dinner table at night. Um, and, you know, moved down to Indianapolis from Fort Wayne and really um, felt like I was in the internet world and really felt like I wanted to do something a little bit more constructive with my day and leave something a little bit more tangible behind than just sell an internet space. And um, so I kind of worked my way into some um, local campaigns. I helped Peter Pizarro who ran an unsuccessful bid for city County council. And, um, from there went and helped out on the Mitch Daniels campaign as a volunteer. Um, and then as he took office, transitioned into the organization, um, you know, John used to give me pretty good advice
0: and, and, and John was a statewide elected official.
2: Yeah. Uh, when he was only 29 years old, back, clerk uh, back of the in courts. 94. Yeah. Back when clerk was still an elected position. Um, And so he kind of encouraged me to get involved and and hooked me up with a couple of different people. Um, And along the way, I I got to meet our current governor, Eric Holcomb, and became sort of close friends with him and took some guidance between he and John as to how to navigate those waters. And I did a a brief stint at the state house for the governor. And then um, Eric came to me and asked me if I would go down and and, um, help out Todd Rokita and be his chief of staff as um, um, Heather was leaving. So... Heather it Willis is,
0: Neal was leaving, yeah. and, and Todd Rakitu was Secretary of State. So you both have mm-hmm. kind of Secretary of State tie. Yeah.
1: And is That guarding that seal is hard. Well,
2: <laughs> well <laughs> it, it, you got to feed it a lot of fish, yes, as they exactly say. Right. Boom, boom. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, that was. Uh, Ironically, a quick sidebar. Bill Moreau, I had a chance to sit with him while I was still in that office, and he looked at me and said, "You know, that's the best office is, in actually, the state.
1: <laughs> the chief staff office and the Secretary of State's office is the best office in the state house. I
2: mean, you, you have not so much to look forward to, so no, you, you, you just, embrace yeah, the little it's things. Boring right? job, but it's a
1: great. Office. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and so I, I, I left there. You know, the intention was that I would consider running, um, and I I disabused myself of that after two and a half years there. Uh,
0: Running for Secretary of State. Yeah. And, and, um, could have saved us a lot of trouble, Paul. I, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: probably the best decision I ever made, though, was, right?
0: No offense, not the
2: run. So, uh, and then, of course, I spent all of 90 days in the private sector and Mayor Ballard, um, Greg Ballard, this virtual unknown wins. And, um, I jump on the transition team, want to be helpful and, um, and the rest is kind of history. You know, Joe Loftus put me into the Joe Loftus death grip over breakfast. And next thing I know, I'm I'm inside the city county building.
0: Well, and I remember as the press secretary for the Ballard transition team, your uh, news conference. Yeah. When you were announced at the Christmore House. That's right. As chief of staff. Well, you U. would
2: remember. I think you kind of orchestrated the whole thing. <laughs> Maybe.
0: You and Nick Weber and Algin And there were some others, I think, who were announced at the same time. I think Cotterell was. I think that's right. Um, Corporation council, yeah. Mike, you're from Greenfield, as I recall? Yes. And Paul is from Fort Wayne. Um, how did coming to Indianapolis change your life and
1: career, Mike? Well, I, you know, I came to Indianapolis um, working from the Biden administration. Um, you know, I had been commuting back and forth. Um, and green, you know, Greenfield's, every, there's a hundred, I'm, we're sitting at Lilly today, there's a Thousand people who probably commute from Greenfield oh, yeah. today, oh, yeah. um, but I, but I wanted to be closer. Um, I work here. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I um I uh, it just kind of fell into uh, living in Irvington, and and as you know, uh, being an Irvington uh, native, it's a neighborhood that just kind of reaches out and grabs you, and and it has both some wonderful, you know, community elements to it. It has just enough funkiness to it that, uh, you know, things you see on almost a daily basis, you might not see elsewhere in the city of Indianapolis. And so at any rate, it was, it it also, I grew up in Greenfield. Both of my parents are very active Democrats, may have been the only two Democrats in Greenfield. Um, (laughs) So it did create opportunities as a political hack uh, residing in Indianapolis that didn't otherwise exist.
0: Do you remember your first kind of political event or moment or when you decided Wow, I'd really like to do this for a living or like to be active, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, it um I actually worked for a guy, um, Phil Sharp, Congressman yeah. out of the Muncie areas had been a professor at Ball State. Um and I remember I I working on that campaign and I spent um a lot of time traveling the district with him. Uh and and it's where, you know, I think in the end um those folks who, who want to be involved in government and politics, you're in it, I, th- I hope, because you really do get sort of at the ground level to help people. Um, and I saw this connection. Uh, Phil, who is still alive and doing great things uh, in the energy area, uh, but, but was, was, was a policy wonk. But I saw him engage in areas like Anderson and Muncie and Columbus and others in a way that, that when somebody needed something, they knew they could go to Phil Sharp, and he would figure out a way to help them. Uh, and it was just sort of this, you know, and I got my opportunity to live in Washington, D.C. for the first time. And, you know, sort of you walk from the from the, the uh, Capitol South Subway, and you look up and you see the dome of the Capitol, and you're like, oh, this is kind of a cool place. I, I'd like to spend more time here. Fortunately— a little more exposure to the federal government. And I learned that really I didn't want to spend much time in Washington, D.C. But, but it was just, I remember that I remember traveling mostly a summer traveling around the district with, with him and and really sort of, this is what I want to do. I never thought
0: we'll skip ahead a little bit, but because I want to ask Paul and Paul, I'm going to express a sentiment that perhaps applies to all three of us for different reasons. I never thought I would have the opportunity to work for the mayor of Indianapolis. Because after Bart Peterson won in 99, I quite frankly figured that – I love you, Mike. I figured you'd be the next mayor after Bart. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't figure we'd screwed up bad enough that Well, else could step in? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I'm flustered now. No, I just figured there was a lock coming, mm-hmm. and I never thought I'd have a chance. You may have felt the same thing because of 32 years of Republican mayors. So – Mike and Paul talk at your leisure about the fact that you've been presented, you were presented at one time with an opportunity that perhaps you never thought that you would have.
1: Did you start? I just finished a minute ago.
0: Well, <clears throat> it is a good question.
2: I, you know, I think I, I may have alluded to it in my opening remarks about leaving the state house, but I was worked for Lockmuller engineering, um, ran their Indianapolis operation for exactly 90 days. Um, I remember
1: it's driving, be, it was the best 90 days I've ever had.
2: Well, and they, you know, I think they would agree. No, I'm just kidding. I, but I remember driving down and talking to Keith Lockmiller, who I, is a man, I will forever respect, um, extremely generous man and and smart and giving to his community and understood stewardship and public service. And I got about halfway through my speech and he just waved his he, he said, something, Paul, I get it. You might never have this chance again in your life. You got to take it. You got to go do it. Don't worry about us. We'll be fine you know, just knock on our door someday when you get done and, and keep us in mind. And um, that conversation was kind of a moment where I realized how special this really was. Um, And I was just thinking about this the other day, um, looking at my calendar about this, this podcast and how many different people were considered for those jobs and how in the world did, you know, did I end up in that seat is, 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 um, Something that just has started to dawn on me in later years, like wow, that was kind of like
0: winning the lottery. And one of the differences, I think, or maybe being sentenced to jail, depending on your view, (laughs) depending is on the hour. (laughs) You had a relationship, a friendly relationship, and knew we're almost colleagues in a way with Bart, and like Joe Hogg said in the in the buy world. How soon before Ballard one and seven? Did you actually meet him or so, know him?
2: Well, so those are those are qualifying and different questions, right? I met him a half a dozen times, but we didn't know each other. I mean, um, he wouldn't have remembered me walking up to him, you know, because I'm sure in that blitz of those half a dozen meetings he met hundreds of thousands of people right but and, you met
0: him before you you had met him before the election yes at one of those monster fundraising <laughs> events that he
2: had with all four of us in the room and so <laughs> sorry mayor <laughs> they got bigger after he won they, a little bit, a little they bit. always do <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean so no we we had no relationship of consequence before and really i think that's one of the remarkable things you're you're a historian you look back in time on at least in modern politics, you'd be hard pressed to find a candidate who doesn't have a, a close friend, or a former business partner, or somebody that they've spent a significant amount of time in their lives with at their side at some level in the organization. But he didn't. You know, he had an uh, entire staff of virtual strangers. No, no, he didn't.
0: And uh, I mean,
2: one exception would be John Cochran, you Cochran know, who was Durant there during the, the campaign, campaign, but and Walker,
0: because Kyle Walker was at the. He was at county party and then was one of the deputies at DPW. But I joke often that that politicians, successful ones, of course, have a cult. You know, this cult of people who are connected to them, and it's 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 not pejorative, right? It's no. Daniels it's- has a cult, and By has a cult, and and you know Peterson does, and there's the Ballard cult, which
1: there's like three of us. <laughs> it's not very far reaching. Well, but but I would I would argue to to go back to the. Point question. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. You'd, you'd... I would argue, and it's one of the things that that I loved about that job. I would argue that only at the local level, only at the the you, we, we can talk about the role of being deputy mayor and all that sort of stuff. But only at the municipal level of government is that opportunity possible, because because you run for elections and you know the issues become partisan for whatever the period yeah. of that election time is. I haven't figured out when it starts here in Indianapolis right. yet, but um this year. Uh but but and then it's streets and and safety and you, you know the 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 I've yet to meet a candidate for public office that is pro crime, right? <laughs> um um and so it the 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 job the day after the election the job ceases becoming political. Yeah. Um, it was, it's interesting. That's the, so
2: I reached out to Michael early on in my tenure there, and we had this very conversation. It's, it's like you know, Catholics and Lutherans, right? There's only about 15 pages of doctrine that separate the right, two philosophies, right. but you know, sometimes they fight over those 15 pages pretty hard. But there, there was really no scientific difference between the job I did and the job that he did. Right.
0: And and looking back, the difference between how Greg Ballard ran the city and and how Bart Peterson ran or would have run the city for another four years, how much difference would that have been?
2: What you find yourself with is is problems, and you might have, if you're lucky, two or three levers to pull to deal with those problems. And it, it, is, not, it is not a Republican or Democrat decision as to which lever you pull. It is a snapshot in time in which you make an evaluation, and you're trying to guess as far down the road as you can, but the reality is you don't know what the – the flapping of those butterflies wings are going to do down the road. You just hope you're making the right decision. Everybody's in there to do the right thing.
0: Well, and to use a word that would make P.E. McAllister proud, there's an awful lot of consanguinity when it comes to your priorities as a Republican and yours as a Democrat in an urban setting.
1: Could you use that word in a sentence, please? <laughs> I just did. <laughs> um, no, I, I, th- I think that's right. And, and, and P.E. is a good example of, of why I think, and again, I only know what Indianapolis is like, but why I think that job is different. You know, the, the, the benefit I bring to this discussion and to a lot of discussions I have is, you know, if you follow my career, my, pardon me, my career trajectory, you know, I went from state, I actually went from congressional to state, to federal, to local, to now school board where I've determined my next stop is the uh, condo board at Del Boca Vista. Um, <laughs> Phase three. But, but that, that you know, we all know uh, uh, P.E. McAllister's politics, but P.E. McAllister never told us no, right? That, that, that Jim Morris, we know his politics, Jim Morris never told us no. Um, I, not that I, I'm not putting myself up with those two, Paul and I talked, did I ever tell you no? Did I ever say I can't you know, share that it's the it is i don't know if it's this community i don't know if it's what municipal government's like it is it is again when the election's over it's one of the reasons why i think indianapolis is able to if you think about the cities we compete for for the things we do i saw the thing about the uh, nba all-star game yeah the that, uh, that came out yesterday if you think about the cities we compete for or compete with for the things we do they're their metropolitan areas are three times our size.
2: Yeah, we're we're right? well hitting well um, above our weight class.
1: And and we're doing it because um, our history has been when the election's over, those politics are over. And I'm gonna chip in to make sure my city continues to succeed. And that's actually, again, I go back to the the reason why I enjoyed my term, my time, my term of service in the mayor's office was because Every once in a while, things got political, but but ninety percent of the time they were as apolitical as they came. Phil Borsch, former president of the council, and I negotiated lots of budgets, and and you know he'd call and say, "I gotta, I'll, I'll do my best, Phil Bors. Uh I've got to uh, tonight. I'm gonna have to say the following, but uh, just so you know, you know." <laughs> and Phil, that's fine. That's a good whatever no whatever, whatever, whatever you got to do. Um, and we would always find common ground, um, and it's 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 one of the. One of the maddening parts as we look at and I'm not talking about our city today, but as we look at politics mm-hmm. today, that that, you know, there's that hard line, either you're Democrat or Republican, and and by God, I'm gonna be on one side of that line and you're gonna be on the other, and we just can't talk.
0: Well one of the one of the themes of this of this podcast, besides there are lots of them, but one of them is chronicling the rise of Indianapolis, the growth and the transformation in the last fifty years. And We've had multiple, and have others scheduled. Where we had Republicans and Democrats on today with Paul Lucason and Mike O'Connor. We had John Mutz and Louis Mayhern on together. We've had uh, Mike McDaniel and Robin Winston on together. Jim Kittle and Ed Tracy. We've got more coming because it's it is unique to our experience that the door shuts and the white noise ends. And you walk out of a room with solutions that wouldn't be possible if people were only considering their own narrow interests.
2: You know, that's exactly right. I I think about charter schools, you know, Mayor Ballard immediately um, acknowledged all the good work that his predecessor did that Mayor Peterson put forth in charter schools and vowed to continue that our own efforts at the Super Bowl. Um, you know, obviously, Mark Miles was a, a huge win for us to get him to help lead that charge. But a lot of the infrastructure and the rest of the team were many of the same people that right. went after that same uh, endeavor under Red the Glass Peterson administration. Jack Swarbrick. Jack Swarbrick. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there was a, 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 a significant number of folks. Matt Gukhine. I just want,
1: I want to I want to point out, you know, th- running there's, health and hospital. There's, I mean, there's you and I. And then you think of Mark Miles, Jack Swarbrick and Fred Glass. You know, one is running the Holman Corporation, right. one is the athletic director at Notre, Notre Dame. Dame, one's the athletic director at IU. What did we do wrong?
2: <laughs> we make, hey, we make a nice, honest That's list right exactly here right.
1: Now. You are listening to Leaders
0: and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, the Crown Plaza and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Mike, you ran the campaign in 1999 where Bart Peterson overturned 32 years of Republican rule in the city-county building. Talk to us a little bit about that campaign, because as historic as, as Ballard's win in seven is, Peterson's win in 99 was the seismic change that Republicans had feared that was coming for a while.
1: Yeah, and, and it's, it's one of those ones that it, it was, in fact, coming for a while, right? It's the, you're never, the thing I've learned in managing multiple campaigns is you're never as smart as people think you are when you win, and you're never as stupid as people think you are when you lose. Um, um, and I have had more than my fair share of experiences on both sides of that equation. But no, it was, first of all, it was, I mean, you didn't have uh, an incumbent, um and and so it it's really it's an open seat and and it is really becomes i think one of the benefits of that is and one of the reasons why i really liked working for bart was he was he wanted to be mayor right he there were things he wanted to do there are things he wanted to get done your your point about charter schools being one of them he had a uh, almost antithetical thought. It wasn't as antithetical then as it is today within the Democratic Party to say we need we need to do some things to disrupt what's going on in the education world, and charter schools are one of them. And and had the had the courage to take that on. Yeah, that's a, would, uh, that would be a
2: bold move today.
1: Yeah, it would be a bold move. I'm not sure and, it'd be and possible. And Ballard today. praised Peterson in
0: their debates in '07. Mm-hmm. Directly said, "I love. I'm a big supporter of what yeah. what you're doing."
1: But but it was we weren't supposed to win. So, when you're not supposed to win. So, wait a second, wait a second. You think
0: in 99, so 95, Goldsmith beats Z Mae Jemison in a half hearted race. And a lot of people have said See, that's. going to
1: debunk how brilliant I was in 99.
0: No, no, no. I'm going to say the opposite. And that is. It's Sue Ann? It was Sue Ann Gilroy was the Republican nominee, mm-hmm. historic first female uh, Republican nominee for mayor. She was a mayor. strong
1: candidate. Yeah. Had
0: a strong resume, a Luger background. She was Secretary of State. I Again, we say, can't get away from that office. Uh, but 95, Goldsmith... Only, only office where all you need to do is run for something else full-time. <laughs> Goldsmith beats Zemay Jemison... Don't take that seriously, Connie. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> or anyone else who wants yes. to run. Then, but I had heard before that because that race was closer than expected, either because people thought Goldsmith was going to run for governor in 96, they weren't voting for him anyway. Mm-hmm. But people had said that's when Democrats started to think, okay, and then that... that You could turn the mayor's office. But in 99, the Peterson campaign, and I was just out of graduate school, but I remember reading, it was almost universally praised as a significant, very sharp, very smart campaign focused on ideas. And that's really emblematic with the Peterson plan. Yeah,
1: I think it's a a couple of things. You guys are probably both too young to remember a guy named Bill Schreiber. Bill Schreiber had been a Bill Schreiber ran for mayor of Indianapolis in 70 70 no 69 70, one of the in the mm-hmm. earlier late 60s early 70s um and and had had was a was a real number cruncher was Mike Phillips chief of staff when Mike Phillips was speaker of the house and and looked at uh, uh, movements of populations within Marion County and the, the the impact of UNIGOV and when UNIGOV, when the impact of UNIGOV would be dissipated by people moving out of Marion County to the surrounding counties. And he always said it looked to him like it would be the early 2000s when Marion County would probably turn democratic. So when I say we weren't supposed to win, a lot of people thought we were one cycle ahead of time. You had a, you had a, Two people who worked in the buy administration, but but Bart really came out of the corporate world, and so was very, very plan oriented. Right, you, you've got the budget plan, you've got the business plan, you stick to the plan. Um, we we knew how much money we could raise, uh, and we knew you know sort of the 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 business community who had typically voted Republican and, and supported Republicans in Marion County. You know looked at a Bart Peterson and said, hey, you know, if we're gonna get a Democrat, we could do a lot worse than that.
0: And his father was a very yeah.
1: prominent businessman. Um and and so in in like I said, we weren't running against an incumbent who we had to define or anything like that. We were running in an open seat, and and we did what our consultant said was absolutely crazy, which was then begin to put ideas down, including charter schools, about what it is he wanted to do, right? 200 more police officers to, for the Indianapolis Police Department force. Um charter schools, uh neighborhood divisions focused on infrastructure, all these sort of things, but we put it on paper. And the the um a former political reporter for one of the TV stations said, I didn't uh, when when we put out the Peterson plan and we talked about investments we wanted to make in the city and where we would spend money and how we would do 200 police officers without a tax increase and all these sort of things. The the I'm not going to pick on anybody by name, but the older establishment Republicans did a press conference and they put pig noses on. I don't know if you remember the pig nose press conference, but it was it was they tried to paint the Peterson plan as a uh, as a, you know, pork tax and spend as overall. a tax and spend, you know, bringing pork home. And it was it was one of the sort of turning points in the campaign where where it was it, it became clear the other side who had who who couldn't make decisions quickly in the campaign uh, because their 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 kitchen cabinet was you know 35 people around the table where the kitchen cabinet was about three or four of us and we could do things quickly so it was it was just they didn't have ideas mm-hmm. their ideas were were retrospective as opposed to forward thinking and, and so we were able to, and we had a plan, we stuck with it. There, you know, people throw things at you, you know, this, this is campaign one oh one. If you have a plan, you're able to do polling. You think and your polling tells you what's going to move people stick to the plan. And so we did. And, and it's not, you know, like I said, it's not genius. It was just biggest part of it is biggest part of any campaign is discipline. Yeah. What point did you think we're going to win this you know, um, th- there were two two points that press conference I was referencing. Um, there, uh, and then there was as the tail end of the campaign was coming in, and the Channel Six, the ABC affiliate at the time, said we're going to offer both campaigns the opportunity to do a thirty minute spot. Gonna, gonna give, you know, we're going and we're going to give. I mean, it, essentially, they didn't give it to us, but they almost gave it to us, um, and we made it all about the Peterson Plan. Um, and when, when the, they called and they said, you guys are going to take advantage of that 30 second spot or 30 minute spot and your opponents aren't is when I said th- they, they ran out of money. And I don't know, you know, if you think about sort of the way the tables were laid in, in 1999, right. when the Democrat campaign doesn't run out of money and the Republican campaign does, that's kind of a big deal, pretty, pretty big indicator. Yeah. yeah. And we talked about Fred glass, we, uh, Maybe the Thursday before the election, because while we felt good about things, we were all very superstitious. And so Fred, sitting around a table like this, had a conversation with Bart and I said, you guys have got to start thinking about a transition plan. And we both put our hands (laughs) over our ears and started (laughs) "Ah, saying, well, uh,
0: we've said this before. I've said this, and it's been affirmed by other folks who've sat where you guys are sitting Bart Peterson was a damn good mayor and anyone who says he uh, wasn't is either hyper partisan uh, or just doesn't want to acknowledge the obvious and I made that statement when Greg Ballard came on uh, for the very first podcast and he goes yes I think that's right you look back at, at Peterson's time as mayor uh, you were only there for you were there with the first term you weren't there for the you were there five, five years five yeah inch. I don't and
2: even know how you do that so
0: one ulcer. <laughs> Um, um, how many kids, two kids, uh, oh. what are you most proud of when, cause this is goes back to something that, and, uh, uh, Paul mentioned uh, former deputy mayor, Joe Loftus under Steve Goldsmith, who's a friend of all of us. And he talked about being at different places in the city and being able mm-hmm. to point to something and saying, I was in the room when that was decided, or I helped make that happen. When you think of that, you drive around the city what do you look at when you look at both the time you were there and, and Peterson's eight years as mayor and go, this was impactful, this was impactful, and on?
1: Well, I, and, and I, before I say that, I want to do two things, um, because you, you talked about Bart was a very good mayor, and I, I believe firmly he was a very, very good mayor. Um, Indianapolis has been blessed by a series of very, very good mayors mm-hmm. of both parties. Um, you know, Greg Ballard was an unknown when he came in, and everybody wondered. How would he do? And I think he is a he is a testimony to Indianapolis has been blessed because I think he was also a very good mayor. And no one over no one defied expectations as yes, much as Great. Yeah. Did. Um, conversely, you know we had a transition period post election, and Mayor Goldsmith. If there's a textbook to be written about how you ought to treat the person who's coming in behind you during your transition, Mayor Goldsmith needs to write it because I can't think of anything. We asked for that he didn't provide, and there's a few things we didn't ask for that he did provide. He 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 ran that transition textbook to make sure everything that was going on in the city was was translated to us and handed off to us in good form. And then and a couple of things he handed off to us. He said you may want you know, we're at a point where you may want to undo this decision. Uh, and and where the Conrad is today is one of those things where we undid that decision that was scheduled to be a two story bookstore. Really? Yes. Um, no uh, penthouses, no, not at the time, although they are nice, but, but, but it, so then to answer the actual questions you asked, um, I would tell you, I mean, you know, I could point to, uh, uh, Lucas Oil Stadium. Mm-hmm. I could point to not just Lucas Oil Stadium, but the, the, you know, you, you forget about it when you've walked away from it, but this sort of year to year, are we or aren't we going to keep the colts this this mm. you know we, we are we are on the very smallish side oh, yeah. size of a, of an NFL city yeah. green Bay's smaller than us, but they 're different Emerging nope.
2: market is a charitable description yes right.
1: um, so, you know creating a a um, uh, a strong foundation right that the the, the a, as the campaign manager who wasn't working in the mayor's office at the time when he decided to go ahead and do a a, a tax increase for public safety um where I was sitting at the table saying that's a crazy thing to do in an election year it was the right thing to do yeah um and and I don't you know yeah. the the undercurrent of that but but from where I sit today which I can't not sit where I sit today i think the most important thing is creating an ecosystem where 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 education public education and urban education system can thrive, allowing competition where competition is necessary to up everybody's game. But then, uh, then creating this charter network that has created a, a, an entrepreneurial thought in the education world that I, is not going on anywhere else That's in right. the country, when when I look back.
0: And both our podcasts with David Harris, who was the charter school guru, we'll say that mm-hmm. as a compliment, mm-hmm. and the one we did with the Mind Trust with Brandon Brown, who was one of Mayor Ballard's charter school gurus, and Shannon Williams, who used to edit the recorder, they said the same thing. like, What's happening here isn't happening at every major city. It's not like 35 cities or 32 cities have pro teams and and they have all these sorts of things. That Indianapolis really is sui generis and people are looking at Indianapolis to figure out how to do yeah. it. Uh, Paul, what would you say, because I specifically want to ask you about the Super Bowl and your role on the Super Bowl committee. But what would you say would be one or two things that when you're driving around or you read the newspaper, you're like, you know what? We did that.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> I, unlike Mike, I was there for the first uh, full two years of his first term and, and left. And of course, the Hotel California rule was in play. And so you can check out, but you can't leave. So I, I went over to the CIB and, and worked on the Pacers negotiation at that time. But... You know, I, maybe you would agree or disagree. I'm trying to think back of what those first two years and in, in Bart's term were like. But man, you're, you're playing a lot of setting the table and a lot of defense in those first two years. I mean, and you got to remember what the economy was like when we took office. I mean, it was pretty, pretty, pretty far down towards the bottom. Well, plus, um,
0: plus. Well, let me ask you this question because we're 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 honest and comfortable and nice on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Uh, a lot of the emails I received when I was uh, went to go work for the transition team. Ballard wins on Tuesday. I start working for the transition team on Thursday mm-hmm. are basically this guy's going to destroy everything. He doesn't know how this, who is this guy? He's going to undo all the good things. I mean, there was a, a hill to climb for Greg Ballard in his, in the advocacy for him and for his administration that I think quite frankly that, that, that Bart, that the Peterson folks didn't have, we had to convince people, no, this guy's like actually the mayor, like, you didn't, this isn't Dallas. You didn't have a, you know, you didn't step out of the shower. This guy is actually the mayor of Indianapolis. What were some of those conversations like?
2: Yeah. There was a lot of natural inquisitiveness. There's a lot of some um, incredulity about him being there. And, you know, I, I think we had to establish early on what were going to be some sort of key thematic guideposts that drove the administration, and you know certainly fiscal responsibility was a must. Um, and what was job one, public safety, um, and you know just kind of trying to restore some semblance of order. Um, you know you can't really control the economy in your municipality. I mean you can influence it to an extent with certain public works projects and move things along, which which I will say through the past four decades, Indianapolis has mastered the art of getting through the tough times Mm -hmm. um, and knowing with public assistance when to put certain things out onto the street. But, you know, we that was a time when sureties were being called into question and pulled down on the CIB. So that created structural deficit challenges. We we played a lot of defense uh, in those early uh, months. And, uh, you know, I think going over to the state house and voting on property tax caps, you know, that wasn't something that gained him um, political popularity within um, the other 119 municipalities in the state. Right. And I think he was one of only two mayors that went over there and testified in support of it. But just as, as, as Mike referenced, you know, Bart raising taxes in election year was the right thing to do. It wasn't maybe the politically expedient thing to do, but mayor Ballard's guidepost was, you know, people have to be able to afford to live in this County and if they can't, a lot of these other problems get a lot worse. And yeah, I know it's kind of uh, you know cutting off our own fingers budget wise, but this is the right thing to do for people who lived here. And he stuck by that, and he got grilled over at the state house. Um,
0: you mentioned the first few years were defense. When did it become? When did it become not so defensive?
1: Right when I left. Yeah. Coincidentally,
2: and yeah. where you know, I leave it gets better. I,
1: but, but I want to, you know, sort of this is like the debate where you where you ask your your uh, somebody standing across the table from you to say something nice about the person over there, um, which is really hard for me to do with you, Paul. But <laughs> no, I I just I, remember editing the joint
0: op ed you guys submitted to the Star on city time. By the way, sorry, taxpayers. Um,
1: the. Uh, um, one of the things, if you think about sort of that atmosphere you guys were describing, which I didn't, you know, I had a different perspective looking into that. But you know, if you think about the challenge of people saying that about you when you just got elected, right? You won, you won the vote. Unlike the guy sitting in Washington D.C. today, he, you know, he, yeah, Mayor Ballard won the popular vote. Um, <laughs> and what he didn't do, and I think it's courageous, he didn't fix what wasn't broken. And my guess is there was a lot of desire among certain segments sure. of his supporters to fix what wasn't broken. The second thing I will tell you and 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 I deal with it every day here and it's something we cared about. This was second term you were gone, probably why it was successful, but um <laughs> the the when when the second round when 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 we're dealing with an uptick in crime and the the crime fighting sort of this we're going to we're going to use these dollars in in initiatives to to work against crime. And he was very committed to early childhood education. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that without Mayor Ballard's support in Indianapolis for early childhood education to get Republicans on the council to get something done, we wouldn't have a statewide uh, on my way pre-K program.
2: Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's right. I, I do think, um, you know, probably the biggest challenge for, for, for Greg Ballard was how to be his, comfortable with his own skin you know, there, there's this long-standing history of going to these certain events and these certain luncheons. And, and he felt a little bit like, what about all the neighborhood people out there who don't get that kind of time, you know, and, and probably the best compliment I had paid to him to me was, and I can't remember who the woman's name, but he stayed in an event until it was over. And she said, you know, first of all, I don't think we've had a mayor here ever. Second of all, he stayed the whole time I and mean, he had to be bored out of his mind, but he didn't leave. He made us feel important. And, you know, I don't know if he understood what our issues were. I don't know if he was listening, but just his presence and his wife, when he, you know, they stayed for this entire three and a half hour event until, you know, and Mayor Ballet, it hit nine o'clock at night and he was ready for bed. I mean, he was not a late, <laughs> it's a man, a late to bed. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, those are the things I think that that helped him establish himself as as someone who you know, call him the accidental mayor that first term. He had all kinds of nicknames. But I think the more of that that he did started to really ground him in a base of of folks in Indianapolis that got to see their mayor in a different way. And it gave him a different kind of
0: credibility. And that, that makes turns, sense. You, in your mind turned things around. It
2: started to. Um, and I, I think to Michael's point, we didn't spend a lot of time dealing with things that didn't need to be dealt with just for the sake of dealing with them. Right. It wasn't about tearing up toys. It was about just getting, I mean, we had that, the economy really tripled down on a lot of different issues, right? Your revenue rough. growth was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd just gone in and sold property tax caps. Surety companies are falling under credit assassination, right? And so they're telling you, well, stuff rolls downhill. Sorry, you got to come up with another $27 million mm-hmm. to buy. Right? And we don't have $27 million, right? And so we were forced to rework things, the agreement with the EPA. We, we were desperate to find new ways to make things more affordable. Um, And it was by nobody's manufacturer other than the fact that, boy, when when you're not pulling in revenues and the economy's in the doghouse, you know, you're just – it doesn't – again, it goes back to it wouldn't matter if we were Republican or Democrat. You were just fighting to keep your fingers in the holes and keep the thing moving.
1: And when the economy tanks nationally like it did, the the municipal governments feel it the first and the hardest. And the longest. And the longest. That's right. Yeah.
2: I, I think that's the hard. I've always said I think the hardest job in politics, all due respect to those in, in federal office, but I think the hardest job in politics is being mayor of a mid to major city in the United States. Yeah.
0: The first big decision. I think that's a fair statement. So correct me if you think it isn't. That that Greg Ballard made was to decide to resubmit to host the Super Bowl. There was a lot of talk about would we or wouldn't we during the transition, and we shoved it all off because it just wasn't the time, right, to make that decision. The Super Bowl was pursued first by the administration of Bart Peterson. Mike, you weren't there, but I'm sure you were involved somehow, some way. We mentioned Fred Glass before. We'd love to have you on the podcast, Fred. And he was very involved in that. And I remember, I think it was the summer of seven Mm -hmm. when the bid Indianapolis did not get selected. Lost to Dallas. Yeah, it was. I think it was the summer of seven because mm-hmm. Murray Clark, my boss at the Indiana Republican Party, I, I suggested that we issue a statement saying, you know, great job, maybe next time kind of thing. And I got some grief from some friends of mine at the Marion County Republican Party. We thought it was the right thing to do in the spirit of kind of what we're talking about generally. But Greg Bauer did decide to go after the Super Bowl. Yeah. You were chief of staff when that's happening, when then that decision's made. Paul, talk a little bit about not only the decision to do it, mm-hmm. but also the 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 feeling when it was awarded. I was not in the administration then. Yeah. I was at SHIEL. <clears throat> um,
2: So Mayor Ballard came to my office and he, he sat down. I can't remember the date, um, but he just said, hey, um, you know, I got to do this thing called mayor, but we're going to go after the Super Bowl. I want you to sit on the committee and... Um, we need to figure out who we're going to get to help us, and 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 I don't remember the genesis of Mark Miles' name, but it came up pretty quick. And you you know and he you, was active during ubiqui- the transition, ubiquitously well received. Was like, oh yeah, that's the guy, right? Yeah. And and I think his decision was, um, you know, it, it, I think it's pretty well understood. I can say this with confidence that 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 first go around Indianapolis was robbed, right? Of yeah. of, of some agreements that were well understood and that were not kept. People didn't hold up their end of the bargain and I'm, I won't go any further than that, but I think we understood. Not that, local people, by the way. <laughs> yeah. good we're not, not pointing anybody these are, locally. Folks in Indy, they stay with it. And we stayed with our end of the bargain and some other parties involved in that didn't. Um, that was encouraging, right? Because we felt like, Hey, you know, we honestly won that thing and you're going to give it to us. But,
0: and you lost to Dallas and Jerry Jones and the biggest stadium in the NFL. So it's not like you lost to, you know, the Washington Generals.
2: Right, right. E- exactly. And I think that <clears throat> it was a pretty easy decision for us to to want to go after it again. But the roadmap had been built. Right. And I think the, the right thing to do to make a, a positive comment about their effort is, It's not it's not the administration's responsibility to bring. I mean, we facilitate. Right. We do think, hey, uh, they got to they don't pay hotel taxes that we put an ordinance in. We'll take care of it. Right. You got to open up public safety and streets and thoroughfares. We'll do that, too. We got we got you covered. Right. Those are the things we do to facilitate the undergirding of what the really the corporate community Um, the Indiana Sports Corp, those organizations that pull together. And I I think we each had to raise, there was a $25 million commitment to go after the Super Bowl. And both times under both Peterson and Ballard, Indianapolis was the only city vying for the Super Bowl that had its $25 million raised and committed prior to submitting the bid. And if that doesn't tell you what kind of city we live in, to, to, to not only do it once, but to do it twice, right? To say, our chips are in the table already. We're ready to go.
0: And what are the what are the odds that ninety nine percent of the people who supported the bid under a Democrat mayor also supported the bid under the Republican mayor?
2: Yeah. I mean, again, we we took that same strategy and I know that everybody felt the sense of connectedness between the two. right. This really felt very similar. Um, I will say that there were a couple of, of interesting stories. We had a quote in our our bid um Jim Nance, right? So Jim Nance makes a quote for us. Um,
0: the CBS broadcaster?
2: Yeah. And, uh, but he's from Houston. And 30 minutes before, maybe an hour before we're in to go give our presentation with this baked into our video, we get a knock on the door and the NFL tells Jack and Mark, like, you got to take it out.
0: Mark Miles
1: and Jack Swarber.
2: Yeah. And, and and they're, of course, like, what do you mean we got to take it out? It's in our presentation. We're up in like an hour. They're like You got to take it out. Houston said, "You can't do it." So
1: Houston, which had already had the Super Bowl <laughs> <right>? prior,
2: <laughs> but I will tell you, just like the community comes together and gets things done, that room huddled together real quick, um, and I, I'm trying to remember the video guy's name, Conrad Piccarillo, gets his you know MacBook out and reorchestrates this entire presentation so that it edits that out seamlessly. And of course, we go in there and it's announced sometime later in Atlanta when we won. And I was fortunate enough to be on the plane ride back with um, uh, Jim Merce, Mark Miles, the entire squad. He flew us back from Atlanta, and the elation that 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 was felt is oh, it's indescribable, really. I mean, it was a really cool thing that that f- for decades we had be- we had really intentionally become this sports capital of the world, and this is the creme de la creme, this is the yeah. big thing, yeah, right? Absolutely. And to be able to pull it off. But the the only thing that super the only thing that really tops that in my mind is what the reaction was after the game, the the video and all of the testimonials. Everybody in the NFL two hundred one, not all of them publicly, but two hundred one privately or publicly said absolutely the best run Super Bowl in
1: NFL history.
0: Well, if I was going to throw a party, I'd want Allison Melangdon to run it.
1: She you, ever the, you ever want the you ever want the salty version of what Paul was referencing to what happened in the year prior? You should have Bill Napoleon on the show, but you will have to you'll have to have a <laughs> you, you'll you know, have to, <laughs> you'll have to have Mr. Napoleon
0: on the show. But but a lot of the same people who were in the room when Mayor Peterson went after it were the same people in the yeah. room. There was no well, I'm not going to help you because I was on Bard's team and we didn't get it, so we're not going to give you this you know huge. Uh, Gift right. or win. Uh, I wrote the, I'd have to, I'm going to say something that could be wrong, but I read, I wrote the plaque. So all the mayors in the city county building have a plaque. And I remember being the Republican representative to Bart Peterson's uh, uh, plaque and bust being uh, unveiled. <laughs> Talk about the skunk at the party. This was right after Ballard won. I'm like, and I went up and Mike, of course, Michael Connor was very friendly to me and, and we wanted to do it in a spirit of bipartisanship. But I wrote the plaque for Ballard for the, his bust at the city County building. I have to think again, I don't believe it mentions the Super Bowl. He never considered that one of his big giant accomplishments.
2: Yeah, because it really, and he's right to, to, it's his humble nature anyway, but, it it it's not something that, again, the administration doesn't – we have to advance it and sort of be the convening authority to to help get the ball rolling. But it is the community. It is the corporate community, the nonprofit community. It is just individual leaders. It is the fact that we have the sports corporation that we do that is really still kind of setting the standard for those organizations nationally. It's all of that that makes those things happen. And I, I think he's absolutely right. It's not something that, that we did but we sure as heck made sure the city was ready and we had, we threw a hell of a party.
0: Did you, either of you go to the Super Bowl or both?
2: I did not attend the inside of the game. Uh, my best friend was in town from Scottsdale and I chose to just walk the perimeter. I wanted to see what happened in the rest of that city. It was a, it was a gorgeous day. It was like 55 yeah, degrees, it was, it and was sunny. It was, it was an amazing day. I, I chose not. To, I gave my tickets away. I chose not to go inside. I wanted to just kind of see how we operated. I went.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I gave my tickets to Mike. <laughs>
1: No, it's funny. It was fun, you know. It's the 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 interesting part about that. All that is, if there's ever another Super Bowl here, I won't. I, you know, I've been there, but but I would probably do what you did, which is, you know, the 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 game. It I would never want to offend the NFL and say the game doesn't matter, but but in when it's your city, the game matters a lot less than everything leading up to it, and and I think that Paul's point is, when I talk to people in the work that I do now about that Super Bowl hands down everybody you know there's there's a there's a class of people that go to every super bowl um and they they have all said oh it was the best one we've ever been to one because we got to our hotel and we never had to drive anywhere yeah um, um and then two you know god blessed us with great weather um almost too nice weather if you remember that friday night of super sure. bowl weekend when no when when there was just too many people in downtown Georgia um, Street, yeah, yeah. Georgia Street became sort of the uh, yeah. We need to evacuate people, but it was just a combination of everything. And I think, I think actually, for posterity's sake, for Indianapolis, maybe the way all this played out so that it wasn't Bart Peterson Super Bowl or it wasn't Greg Ballard Super Bowl, it was Indianapolis's City, Super yeah. Bowl. That's absolutely is right. kind of the right way it, for it to transpire. And Either of you want to take
0: a chance now, a free shot at Dallas for getting the Super Bowl and then suffering an ice storm that year?
2: Well, they learned that you can't use sand um, to pick up snow. Um, they they learned some hard lessons about temporary seeding. Um, you know, I, look and it's those kind of things that that make the statements we're making absolutely true the the people that worked at at Lucas Oil Stadium all the volunteers and just the people who came his point about Georgia Street they had a helicopter up in the air Georgia Street was literally building to building locked in i mean and not a single serious injury came out of that right and and i mean that's who's your hospitality and the kind of people that attend the game the people
1: that live here just well and and, and the people it makes that, it special and the people that you know, wear badges that are looking at Absolute. this in in the in a room that isn't anywhere near where they are. And they say, hey, people are beginning, you know, I've looked in the eyeballs of a few of the folks that are in this crowd. If they're getting uncomfortable. We need to, you know, uh, I'm not going to name names. but We yeah. all know who those folks are, that 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 their participation in a very important community event is doing the job that they do. Um, and and I remember because I was working on that crew, it was sort of the we need to get the gates out of the way. We need to get people out of that. Give them some release valves. Yeah.
0: Greg Ballard used to walk into my office, and if there were people in the office, he would say, everyone get out, I need to talk to my political hack. <laughs> he didn't mean it as a compliment. I took it as a compliment. Mike, given your considerable political background, did you consider yourself Bart Peterson's political hack?
1: I, you know, I, you've probably heard me reference myself as a political hack. Yeah, it's that, you, you know, there's a skill set. That comes from having been a political hack. One, it is evaluating a situation and making a decision. Sometimes right, sometimes wrong. But you're able to make a decision pretty quickly. Um, and you, you know, I know in today's world, political hack is a is a bad moniker. But no, I was I was I'm happy to have had the set of experiences that I have had. It's a political office, and and yeah, but but even I'm not in a political office today the work I do in the school board, my, my experience as a political hack helps me almost every day. I've talked to
0: several students in classes and, you know, we all have spoken in front of people about our experiences or whatever. Before we get to the five questions, as we end all the podcasts with the same five questions, how much did being involved in politics, not government, in politics, change your life, give you a set of friends you wouldn't have, uh give you a sense of pride, that sort of thing. Mike and then Paul.
1: Well, it's it it it, it there are I think part of it is you you are are surrounded by a bunch of people that you have a common set of experiences with. And it's funny, I was because of an unusual set of circumstances, I was in a room with somebody who I worked with in the Secretary of State's office. Twenty, thirty, five <laughs> years ago, whatever that was,
2: you <laughs> were only um, five, and got a full of hair. And now, I haven't, it, that I haven't,
1: I haven't seen them for twenty years. And it was, you know, we we picked up like old home week. It was, you know, last week. Um, and so yeah, it, it's 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 a great set of experiences. Um,
2: I I mean, uh, I met you and Tom, John, and Dave Serto all. Uh, at one of the very first functions at downtown gop club what used to be bw3s is where we used to have it um and uh, all three of you i still consider very dear friends tom has been a, a, a friend to me in ways i couldn't even share on a podcast over the years um as have you i, I just saw judge serto not recently um or not too long ago and we probably haven't seen each other in a couple of years but it's you know You just you look into the eyes of someone you can truly call a friend. It's been I wouldn't replace uh, those experiences or those relationships for anything.
0: And how much would your life experiences and friendships and sense of friendship be diminished if you were only friends with people who voted like you do?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I have told you before, I'm the really the Republican on the Annapolis Public School Board. Um, <laughs> and um, um, and to those of you who don't know me, I'm very much a Democrat. But um, no, it's the, it's the, you know, I don't know if you saw what Ellen said, Ellen DeGeneres said out. on the, yeah. y- you know, if you limit yourself to people who think, act, talk, look like you, you're missing out on so much. And so most of the fun I have on any given day is making fun of my friends who vote differently than me. But, but I've found with any number of uh, very active Republicans that I work with on a regular basis, some of whom are very, very good friends, that when you get down to the brass tacks, there's we have a lot more in common than we have in different. Yeah,
0: I I couldn't say any better than that. You're listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, the Crown Plaza. At Historic Union Station and Conference Hall, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood caterpillar dealer. We are at the five questions portion of the Leaders and Legends podcast. Are you ready? I was told there'd be no math. Well, Chevy, get ready. <laughs> we'll just go, we'll have Mike answer all these questions first.
1: And we'll go, Mike, Paul, Mike, Paul. Uh, okay. Mike, what was your first job? First job, first. Paying job or first job as, per, you know, out of Pain. college? First job you actually
2: reported your taxes to government. <laughs>
1: um, Eli Lily. <laughs> the, <laughs> the Greenfield Wastewater Treatment Plant.
0: I Paul, wanna, can I w- you top that?
2: Can he add? Well, I want to know what the job was. What did you do there? That-
1: Human beings are no longer allowed to do the job <laughs> that I did at the Greenfield Wastewater <laughs> Treatment Plant, which might explain why I'm so short.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh and he glows in the dark um my first real job i guess was um i mean i mowed yards growing up um and i did work construction a summer for my dad's company out in the field but my first real job was um i worked full-time to help pay for college at walmart sam's club walmart stores inc
0: mike what? what was your first concert
1: bachman turner overdrive <laughs> With my oldest brother. Year? Oh, I can't remember that. 77, 78. It was the opening act. Oh, man, I'm, I remember Bachman-Turner Overdrive. <laughs> I think I can remember the opening <laughs> act of that.
0: With Bob Seger being in town, my brother who's 58. How old are you, Mike? 56? 56. Um, he remembers seeing Uriah Heep, and he goes, and the opening act was Kiss, and no one had ever heard okay. of him. Then the next year, Kiss explodes. Kiss comes back. They're the headline act. He goes in the opening act was someone no one had ever heard of, Bob Seeger. <laughs> and he goes, "It's amazing how many times the opening act comes oh, back yeah. and and hits it big." Paul, what was your first concert?
2: Uh, it was um, Tesla. <laughs> yeah, I was a, I was a and still am a little bit.
0: And of that's a, not a battery powered car. No,
2: no, <laughs> no. no tone. I'm I'm a bit of a, a headbanger and always have been. Um, but yeah, it was my first concert.
0: Mike, if you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you choose?
1: The the for those of us who care about the things, you know, whether they be our vocation or avocation. Now, there's a great book called The Founding, and it is actually about the period in between the Articles of Confederation and the um, Constitution. Uh, you know the the mm-hmm. sort of centralization of power and and even itself the book is not that great it's the It's the end of the book where they talk about the individuals who participated in the constitutional convention and the the moral of that is that each of them were radicals, many of them died you know like being stabbed by their lover's angry husband or or whatever that 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 this you know the, this country we belong to started off as a radical experiment
2: like it was it burr and hamilton that had the duel? Yes. No,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah and crazy pe- in they were crazy people mm-hmm. um
2: <clears throat> there's there'd be a couple i i would say probably the one that that touched me the most and it's been a while since i picked it up but it was citizen soldier by stephen ambrose um, which is a compilation of a lot of the letters from world war ii um veterans and, and just a sort of a repainting of history through those letters and through those interviews. And, um, my dad was a Korean war vet and it's just, a, it's a book that just it came out right around the time I think maybe Saving Private Ryan did or not too long after. And so it just, it kind of, you'll, you'll have a, a, a deeper appreciation for what those people sacrificed and what, what that was really like for them those experiences. It's it's worth a read.
0: Mike, if you could witness any event in history be there as it happens witness it with your own eyes which event would you choose
1: that's hard and and we're we're going to run out of time right um plenty i plenty of time i would i think like to be there um at the at when world war 2 ended so on the battleship missouri
0: in september yeah, 45
1: yeah, i would I, you know it and I don't. When you say witness, or or in New York, or in Philadelphia, or in when when it, it, your your reference to that book, and my I have uncles who fought in combat in World War II, and it was a similar event of their life, seminal event of their life, um, and just sort of that 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 you know we think about in battle engagements today, and and people will lose their lives. I'm not diminishing the the importance of the sacrifices our soldiers make today, but the outcome is never really in question. The outcome of World War II was in question for a very long time. And you think about how, what the world would look like today.
0: Paul? What was the question again? Witness any event in history. (laughs) Oh.
2: Who was it, that was it was it it was was it Sumter that got beat with the cane
0: in session in con- Charles Sumner Yeah Sumner by Bully Brooks
2: Was it was it Brooks or Preston was it Myriad, it was a Webster
0: No it was Bully Brooks because uh uh Sumner had insulted his uncle who was a senator yeah. Andrew Butler was his cousin who was a senator And from, he runs across the floor with his cane and just and beats, beats him in living. the chamber <laughs> yeah. I mean those are the good old you- <laughs> Speaking of political hackery. <laughs>
2: people talk about divisiveness. I think that's pretty divi- No, I think th- those moments in history, like he, we think back upon those times, like people were much more civil in our our um, sort of, you know, colored overview of history sometimes. And to know that people were just as crazy back then as, as we are today. I think those kind of events, I, that'd be great to go see. that. I mean, just to be sitting there and watch this. Guys, come over with a cane. Look out. Just
0: over, think, over slavery. Yeah. You're so just, passionate about. Yeah preserving slavery that you would basically almost sumner Sumner couldn't come back to the Senate for two years yeah last question if you could have dinner with anyone living today two hours off the record whom would you choose mike
1: i'm gonna stay local i i would like to have two hours with lee hamilton you know him, I would assume. I do, yeah. I just, it, you know, you take for granted the people that you know. And and as, as I watch my parents' age, I've, I've, the, 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 the knowledge that he has. And I would, I would like to spend two hours uninterrupted with Lee Hamilton to get his perspective on the world today.
0: Well, he'd be a dream podcast. Guest. Oh, yeah. I'd love to have him on. Brilliant. Paul?
2: I'd really like to have, uh, two hours with George Bush, with W. I mean, to talk about... He's been popular. Post 9-11 and just, um, you know, did you go to the event where he... And Ballard was there. He came out to the... Was it the convention
0: center? When he went to the fairgrounds? And
2: he introduced... um, And he talked about Ballard and he made an introduction. I don't remember if this was for Holcomb or who this was for, but that was the first time I really saw him not on camera, right? And unscripted. And he just seems like such a really funny guy like a very self-effacing you know I just
0: he's a first-class history nut too
2: and I think I think the the longer history strays away from his time in office I think the the, you know the higher marks he's going to get during his time in presidency because there was a lot of things that got you know glossed over based on more you know tumultuous events that happened in his tenure but um, he had some really impressive ideas. His tax restructuring as a deal, I think most people, both sides of that, would take in a heartbeat today, and and it got no notice given the, the the time. But I just he's a he seems like a really funny, down to earth guy, and I think he'd have a lot to share.
0: The Leaders and Legends podcast is not only to pr- promote my company, Veteran Strategies, but it's to bring people together who get together frequently for meals or you see each other at at events or celebrations. And I can say to everyone listening that the friendship between Michael O'Connor and Paul Ocasin is genuine, it's real, and it's incredibly beneficial to this city. We need more of it, not less of it. And the example set by these leaders for all of us is one to follow and we cannot thank you enough for your time today for coming on an
2: honor to be on thanks it. for having thank you yeah. yeah
0: thank you very much for listening to leaders and legends brought to you by veteran strategies incorporated If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services please send us an email at robert at veteran strategies.com that's robert at veteran strategies.com